You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? This time, change up. Don't make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Here's why. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender, and it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. On top of that, Old Trapper is a family-owned business, and they take their smoked beef extremely seriously. You can taste it in every single bite. Like, who wants dried out, rough beef in a bag? Nobody. That's who. Old Trapper, though, is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old-fashioned, teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy, all amazing and all different. So the next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for it in the Clearview bag and look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? But I just like to think that there's another billionaire out there that would do better with the football team that's based in our nation's capital. I mean, what do you make of the fact that John Gruden is the only casualty of that entire investigation? Yeah, that and, and also at the end of the day, are were we super surprised about those emails with John? Hey now, it's cracking. Welcome to the Jim Rohn Podcast. We are up to episode 195. So if you were here for another banger, you have come to the right place because like the 194 before it, we have another tremendous conversation. I mean, a really good conversation lined up for you. Today, the GOAT of the preseason graces the original side hustle, but he is so much more than that. Today, I'm joined by a 12-year NFL vet, Sage Rosenfels. Of course, Sage was a star at Iowa State before going in the fourth round of the 2001 NFL Draft to Washington, and he managed to grind out 12 years in the NFL. He's got some amazing stories. He played for amazing coaches and some incredible teammates as well. This is a tremendous conversation, really unlike any we've had in quite some time. It is episode 195 with former NFL QB Sage Rosenfels. We covered a lot of ground that has not been covered on this show before, and it's coming at you right now. Sage, it's great to get the opportunity to visit with you. Thank you so much for doing this. Let me first ask you, you know, a lot of guys, I'm always curious to see, some are really prepared when the cheering stops and they make that transition seamlessly to life off the football field. For others, it's really challenging. You seem like you've had a very, very active life after the game itself, and you're still involved, of course. What was it like for you when your career ended and you had to make that transition? Ooh, man, if you ask me... To answer that honestly, probably the opposite of what you probably see uh, in some ways, at least initially. Uh, my career ended in 2012. Uh, at the same time, went through divorce, um, moved to Elkhorn, Nebraska, a suburb of Omaha, Nebraska. Never lived here and uh, started over. Uh, single dad. I was living in an old teammate's basement, Kenny Anatolu, uh, as he was playing for the Carolina Panthers. Uh, sort of going through a divorce. It, it was a very hard time in my life. And at that point, of course, you know, what do I do next? Um, what are my priorities? What are, what's important to me? Uh, what are the things I care about most? And so, you know, I've been here for nine years and to completely start over, not knowing one person, 
in Omaha uh, and starting fresh with friends, with relationships, with not being an NFL quarterback, uh, with being a single dad by himself, you know, half the time, uh, with trying to figure himself out and what he's going to do, what he's going to do within that uh, environment. Uh, it was a major challenge um, for a number of years and, and uh, to, to sort of start over like that. So um, my situation may seem, you know, pretty good uh, from your perspective, probably because you know me from what, like Twitter, you know, maybe Instagram, social media. But uh, it's been a challenge uh, uh, from, from when that career ended to what do I do now? What do I do with these skills that I learned over the course of playing for, in the NFL for 12 years and five years of college football as a walk on from a town of 300 people? I mean, it is to, from the New York Giants, you know, and then to the, the suburbs of Omaha, Nebraska, place. But it was it was a far fall. It wasn't a fall because of injuries sustained or head injuries sustained or uh, financial difficulties, uh, but for for different reasons. And uh, but I do feel after all these years, I feel like I'm in the best position I've ever been in in my life. I'm the happiest I've ever been, including all those years as an NFL quarterback, even as a college quarterback. Uh, the things that I get to do uh, and the the love that I get to send my kids away and my family and who I get to take care of and who I get to help and, and all these things and, and what my life is. It's very unusual. It's weird to, to retire as a 35-year-old quarterback, but you have to figure out to sort of balance the various things that you need and want in your life and, and the things you need to do. And I get to do a lot of really fun things. I get to do things I enjoy. And one thing I always enjoyed is going on and, and, and listening to or watching your show growing up. As a kid in the Midwest, uh, you know, grew up in 1978, so the 90s, uh, the 80s, the 2000s, all that, uh, you know, how many pieces of your show I saw or all the episodes I saw. Uh, it, it, it's a pleasure to, to spend some of that time uh, doing your show. You've done a long time and, and uh, to follow all the sports and to do all those things that you've done. Uh, it's, it's, it's sort of an honor. And, and my buddy just down the street, he was like, man, tell him that your neighbor down the street absolutely loved Jim Rome for a long, long time. One of his favorite uh, interviewers and and uh, people in the media. So I, I appreciate you having me on. Forgive my use of this language, but holy shit, Sage, what a great response. That is one of the all-time great initial responses to, hey, how you doing? What's life like since you stopped playing? That is amazing. That is so interesting and so deep. There is so much depth to that response. First of all, I appreciate what you said about me and the show. Tell your guy down the street, I appreciate him too as well, but make sure, Sage, he knows... I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it. I'm still hungry. I still love it. Man, I, I love everything you said. And yes, I agree with you. I did not know that it was as challenging as it was for you when your career ended. I would have never known that. So I'm really glad that you shared that. Let me ask you this. like Your point about I'm happier now than I've ever been, and a lot of that is because you know, you're with your kids and you have this quality of life. I'm really curious. I remember the first time I went to Omaha, Nebraska. Sage, I had not spent a lot of time out of California, and the show was starting to take off. And it was in the early 90s when the Cornhuskers were in all their glory. In fact, I went there to do a show after they won the national championship. How much of your happiness right now is about where you are physically in Omaha itself? Because it really is a wonderful place. Uh, it is a great place to raise a family. It's very easy here. It's inexpensive. You know, the, the unemployment is very low. The weather is not great, you know, as it's about 55 degrees and, and wet and windy outside. Um, but, uh, you know, the people are really nice, but it has a great airport. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, it is, it is great to fly out of Omaha. 
is one of the great things. And also one of the great things about living here for nine years is that for the most part, the Huskers have been terrible. And that has been, for me, one of the sort of sweet cherries that I wasn't My expecting man. when I moved here. I know where you're going with that. Is, you know, I'm friends with Eric Crouch, uh, who used to live a couple of houses down, down the same block. Um, and, you know, it's to have them not be good. And, so, you know, of course, and they destroyed us for those years. I mean, they're 63 to 7 at halftime, 1997, wow. all right, in, in, in Lincoln, you know, Iowa State used to get embarrassed by them, and uh, but now to see them struggling and Iowa State doing well, <laughs> it has been a nice, uh, a nice little cherry to the whole situation. Sage, that's such a funny thing you say. I've got to talk to you about the most amazing product, my X chair. <laughs> my X chair is insane. I mean, it's incredible. I never actually look forward to getting to the office to sit in my office chair until I got my X chair. As an example, can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? My X chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? My X chair can. And it's all in the LMAX massage and temperature regulation exclusively designed and made for X chair. I'm talking crazy technology with my X chair. And once you feel the customized support of X chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar or DVL, your back will never be happy in any other chair again. Take my advice. Try X chair for yourself risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you will never go back. Trust that. Go to xchairrome.com. That is the letter X chair R-O-M-E.com or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR for 100 bucks off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. That's xchairrome.com, xchairrome.com. You, you couldn't have been more upfront about that right there. I'm getting a chuckle out of that. Do the locals, I would imagine they don't find as much humor in that as you do. Obviously, they, they know who you are. They know where you play. They they know, man. They know that it was 63 to 7 at halftime. So do you kind of keep that to yourself? Or are you walking around with a smile on your face all day long because of it? Well, I don't know. I mean, it, it is it does stink to, to think it may never be back. And I just I if you just look at if you sort of create a document of like, it, what are the chances of Nebraska bringing this thing back to be a regular top 10 team and win national championships like it was ever again? versus what's the unlikelihood of that happening. And there's just so many, just like demographic wise uh, and all those things, right? It's just, um, there's only 1.5 million people in Nebraska. The states around don't have a lot of population. If you go to where the football is best, it has a lot to do with population, of course, culture. And, uh, you know, in the South, in the, in the other parts of the Midwest, um, I, there's just more people. So you can have you know, more offensive linemen, more, more this, more that, you know, obviously Texas with all the people, California, the, the, the numbers just sort of speak for themselves. And, and they have, you know, the, the young kids don't know that Nebraska was ever good. If you were from California and you're like, why would I ever go to Nebraska? I can go to all these other schools that seem to be more, you know, exciting. And so, you know, Lincoln, Nebraska is not the most exciting place to go. Uh, and so I just don't see them ever coming back. And I've said that, I said that on the radio station to Damon Benning, it was a local show here, and I just said, I just don't see it ever happening. I think they should be very happy with some nine and threes, some eight and fours, sort of what I was doing over there. They should be happy with that occasional Big Ten, uh, you know, championship, or maybe in some random year run, but they should not have such high expectations because uh, football has just changed. Army at one point 
was a great football team. I didn't know that growing up because I didn't even realize that. And somebody said, what, who, who played, Roger Staubach played at Army? They were good, didn't know that. But things change, and I just don't think Nebraska uh, is, you know, is coming back from, uh, from, where, from where it is right now or, or getting that much better. It's never going to be back to where it was in the 90s. Yeah, but Sage, Rod, Roger played at the Naval Academy, though. Well, the naval panel, yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm sorry, the, but the, the you know the but the old dude. I'm just so like, pleased that I knew something that you didn't know. Believe me, I'm just gonna walk around and act like yeah, I got that, that right. That just shows. Hold on, that just shows how little in my memory I thought of like which great NFL quarterback and what school he went to. Like it's that long ago where we don't think of like you know, and I, I didn't think of. And these kids don't see Nebraska as like oh, that's a place that I really want to go to for these various reasons. I mean, you're, you're right. You're so right. Time is, first of all, I agree with everything you just said, and I wish I didn't because I love Nebraska and I love the fans and I love the program, but you're right. I mean, from a football standpoint, from a recruiting standpoint, from a proximity standpoint, this is all right. They, they will never be what they were. Like Scott Frost, I love Scott Frost, but if he can't do it there, then nobody's going to be able to do it there. So I think you're right. They don't want to adjust their expectations, but they should. Now, I want to pick my spots because your career is fascinating. You like you I was going to say this, by the way. Yeah. Wouldn't you think Scott Frost should run like that option offense that he ran or not? Like, wouldn't that be a specialty of like doing something different that um, like other teams don't do in the Big Ten and having success with it? Does that make sense? Kind of, kind you like think little, that is his specialty, not the RPO world. You, you don't like that RPO stuff at all, do you? We can get that discussion if you want to. It's fine. Yeah, right. No, I got you. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I see what he did at UCF, and I see the success he had. But, yeah, I mean, it can like you said, to your point, the world has changed. The game has changed. I mean, is, is that who he is? Would that work there? Is that the only chance they have there? What do you think? I think there's also a thing of like what kids are attracted to right. and, and we got we got lucky at iowa state and if you look at matt campbell he is just a magnetic personality he is that that coach that sort of brings the special sauce that uh you know, that that kids like that parents like uh that atmosphere thing it's important and and you know I, that whether you like it or not uh college you know high school 17 year olds 16 year olds they want to be around uh, you know, a different way than what it was in the nineties and way, the way people coached. And so I don't know him personally, you know, so I, my Iowa state guy, Fred Hoiberg over there. So sometimes I'm sort of working for the basketball team though. Uh, so you got root for Fred a little bit. So, um, it's an, it's an interesting relationship I have with those. those I was going to say, you sure do boy. I, I love the mayor. <laughs> I love Fred and you, but you, you are right. You are like living in their spot. That is really interesting. You know, as I mentioned, you played stage 12 years in the NFL, so I could pick any number of things that we could talk about. I actually want to ask you about coming up with the now Washington football team. Jeff George was there, man. That Now, there's an icon, right? If you have a mm. problem with Jeff George, I don't know. You, you're your own guy. You tell me. You would know better. I was going to state, if you have a problem with Jeff George, you got a problem with you. I want As one quarterback looking at another, what do you think of him, and what was he like to share a quarterback room with? I love the guy. Man, I'm not, well. I'm, I would never bash on the sheriff. It was quite the run that I had as a rookie coming from Iowa State as a fourth rounder. Uh, the sheriff is the QB. You know, I grew up watching the Big Ten Conference, a lot of Iowa Hawkeye football, a lot of Illinois football, and of course knew about this magical arm of of Jeff George. And and so you see his career, and then how it sort of went from the off season, the way the ball would come out of his hand. Just playing catch. When I first saw him, I was in the weight room, him and Todd Husak out there playing catch on a random like April day. And just like, oh, man, 
I wish I could throw like that. How is he doing that? And like trying to then go out there myself and throw like the sheriff, like, how did he do that? And that that arm was magical. Um, uh, I enjoyed him as a a young guy. I don't got any bad things to say about him. Uh, It is interesting how the whole thing went down. It seemed like uh, where where they, they, they fired him after two weeks. Uh, that he, you know, came walking in the office and and Brian, in the quarterback office and and, and Brian uh, is we're, we're talking about something and Brian's like you gotta go see uh, the head coach and off he went to to get fired uh, and after week two uh, playing in the Monday night game against the Green Bay Packers the week after 9-11. I hmm. got to play I got to be there for that game wow. Jeff George's last game wow I was actually that game and what happened on the sidelines and I can I can remember so many instances never had a never had an issue with the sheriff but it's a trip to be like yes my mentor was the sheriff like you know some people get Steve Young or you know whoever it is like this is how you play NFL quarterback and but, but that the arm it really was magical there I think the best throw I ever saw was a summer practice we had five wide he threw a 50 yarder right down the middle and it was it was he st- sort of moved around stuff up in the pocket and just on the dime uh, to like Kevin Lockett or something and I simply couldn't believe it and I was like I can I can't play this game I can't be an NFL quarterback no chance I can't do that that is that's amazing that's I was so glad I was hoping you had a response like that in you about the so-called sheriff he because he had that magical arm he had like the most amazing arm and then kind of a quirky personality to go with it and to your point he got fired two weeks in there are probably a million stories about him I want to ask you about 2007 though one of your finest moments came in 07 when you led that crazy, crazy comeback against the Titans. You threw for four touchdowns in the fourth quarter, only to come up just short in that game. Sage, what do you remember about that game and specifically that wild fourth quarter? Mm, that, that was an, an interesting uh, year, an interesting game. Uh, you know, I was Matt Schaub's cor- uh, backup. I I'd signed there in 2006. I was uh, uh, um, David Carr's backup. Played in a couple games, ended up breaking my wrist it's about Thanksgiving uh, but played pretty well in those games. And, and, and I, and, and the next year Shad came in and he got hurt a lot. So I was getting some action getting some time, playing some quarters, playing some halves and, and playing pretty well. And in this game, we got down so bad at halftime and Shad got hurt, I don't know, early third quarter or something like that, mid third quarter. And I went in and, and, uh, we just, you know, sort of chipped away, uh, you know, sort of just kept moving the ball and just sort of went two minutes. It was, it was like, it felt like the most high school fast break ish you know sort of style of basketball on a football field that i'd ever played it was like how quickly can we run plays and basic plays those two minute plays and, and just let's just go because we need a lot of possessions and it was just they just sort of couldn't stop us and uh it sort of just simplified the defense and and guys made plays and and uh you know got got uh, great protection uh van and bosch was nipping my heels about 25 times uh, in the fourth quarter, I don't know how many times we, we threw it in the fourth quarter, but it was sort of a magical game that we catch the lead with 51 seconds left uh, with sort of a, an, a corner post to Andre, no, to, yeah, to Andre Davis, uh, who catches it over a guy's shoulder. And we take the lead with, like, I think, 51 seconds left, only to have Kerry Collins and the crew uh, go down and score. There was a one-on-one, the left hand on third and like nine, we blitzed or third and something. We, I think third and 10, we blitzed and it was one-on-one and, and Dunta Robinson got beat on a back shoulder to somebody. Uh, next, you know, Bronis kicked his eighth field goal in the game. Nah. It was a wild 
for the fans that stayed for the second half and the fourth quarter, it was wild. And, uh, you know, two of my best, two of my, the best games I've ever played in the NFL were in losses. Two of the best games I ever played were losses. If you're like me, your weekend plans include kicking back, watching live sports, and it doesn't even matter what sport you're watching. It's always fun to have a little action. Personally, I've got my week eight eye on Pittsburgh, making that short trip to Cleveland for a heated divisional battle. This is why I'm going to recommend downloading the WinBet app right away. Whether you're a recreational player or a serious handicapper, WinBet is your ticket to every exciting wager from straight bets to parlays teasers, and any exotic prop wager you can come up with. The app is so easy to use, and everybody knows that Win is one of the biggest and best brands in the gaming industry. So get off the sidelines and join in on all the action. Download WinBet right now. You can get it on Google Play or the Apple App Store. Put yourself in the game with WinBet. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. You do have to be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. So if you're being really honest, when those games, I mean... I, I know the correct answer, but is there any part of you that's like, hey, man, I did my job, that was amazing, or is a loss a loss, and it feels like crap no matter what? I felt uh, really proud that I felt I had done something magical, you know, with, but, but also with sort of that group of guys, too, but I just felt like, um, you know, I, I, somebody said that was like, the, you know, only a two or three people at the time or four people had thrown four touchdowns in the fourth quarter of a football game. And that would be probably an NFL record for a really long time. Um, that's sort of cool to, 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 I guess, have that record in a loss. You know, the, the, the win would have been great, um, but uh, it was a great football game. It was a great football game. It was so much fun to have those moments. I had some rough moments, too. You know, uh, four interceptions a game versus Baltimore. That is hard to hear about your kids getting yelled at by the home fans as he's walking out of the stadium. Uh, right. There's, there's, there's some tough games in there too, but that was one of those sort of oddly magical games that ended up being a loss. I get that. All right. So you mentioned the sheriff. What about the old gunslinger? You were also there front and center for one of the all time seasons. Oh my God. Well, well, the fact is you were battling for that starting job in Minnesota in 09. And then the old gunslinger showed up and the circus rolled into town what were those early days like when the speculation began that Brett Favre might be a part of the plan? And then when he actually did roll into town with that circus, what were those days like? Well, of course, I'd probably heard the rumors even before, like before the whole Jets scenario, that that was a possible situation. They go to the Jets. And then I signed up there yeah, to, to compete with Tavares Jackson. Uh, and he and I battled throughout the summer. I think it was a fourth round uh, draft pick trade. Uh, you know, I could easily stayed in Houston. I thought I played well there. Had great relationships there with guys and teammates and loved Kubiak. Kyle Shanahan was my coordinator. It would have been a great place to stay if I wanted to stay being a backup, but I wanted to be a starter. I wanted to get, was, I thought it was my shot. I thought I'd played well. I was six and four as a starter in Houston. And here was this loaded team. And if I could, I could, I felt like I could beat Tavares out. And here was my opportunity to, for once, like be the starting quarterback in the NFL. And if I play well, boom, get a big contract. And that's what I was hoping was going to happen. Uh, of course, as the summer progressed, we started hearing, uh, you know, maybe far of this or whatever. And it's like, well, I'm just going to keep, keep doing my thing. And as I just sort of got more and more and more, uh, and then all of a sudden you're sitting at lunch and actually, you know, you're sitting, coming to, coming to work. And, and after a team meeting, uh, uh, Brad sort of takes you to the side and says, me, me Tavares. And I think John David Booty, 
I think was the third. Wow. Uh, so I got, to, I got to play. I know both the booties, by the way. They're nice. the other people from my history. It's sort of, you know, Josh was in my draft class and John David. So that's great. Uh, it's, it's random people I got to play with as a sort of a journeyman quarterback. Um, but he, he brought us into a, another room and he said, you know, I'm, I'm signing Brett Favre today and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, at the point I was like, well, this is going to be quite the ride and Favre never gets hurt. So like, well, I guess we'll see what happens, you know, <laughs> type of thing. And I sort of knew Tavares probably made the backup because, because Brad liked him more than me. And so I was going to be like, well, I'm the third guy. I'm going to make my cash for this year. Not, not things could be worse. I'm back in the Midwest. I'm, I'm playing it. Going to get to go to Chicago play, you know, and, and watch this run. We had, Hutchinson and Jared Allen, Adrian and, and, and a rookie Percy Harvard. We had an awesome football team. Our defense had a lot of really good players and we knew we we're going to make a run. It was an unbelievable season. I got to play in that or watch the bounty gate game in, in new Orleans. It was a magical year. Uh, that game, that game sort of led me into sort of my first uh, thing of being a media person after I got done playing uh, and I, and I basically, I couldn't, I couldn't sleep at the end of that season. And so I wrote an article, uh, uh I basically started writing what happened that game, uh, that season, right after the season, it's the middle of winter in, in Minneapolis. And I just, my mom's like, just start writing it down. I'll like, get it off your mind. Cause that was a crazy game, a crazy experience and atmosphere. And just the whole season was wild. And that turned into, uh, my first media piece, which is a, an article that Peter King, put in sports illustrated uh and end up in Favre's commemorative edition so i never knew i could really be a writer uh but uh i, I guess occasionally i could write a decent article which led me to you know i wrote for the athletic and, and the score and some other random uh and, you know other i shouldn't say random other websites uh you know out there because it's really it is fun to try to express your thoughts about football and why things happen on paper with a pencil or of course with a with a a, a computer so that was the first thing that led me into uh, you know, dabbling in the, in the, in the meteor world after I got done playing. That is really interesting too, that you couldn't sleep and your mom said, you know, just put that to paper. And then you're like, you know what? I, I can do that. That's pretty interesting. And all of a sudden that kind of leads to a media role. I, I did not know that either. That's, that is really interesting. You mentioned the defense and you mentioned Jared. I love Jared. Jared, Jared was one of those larger than life personalities. He was a lot of fun. That run had to have been absolutely amazing. Now, wait, one thing about Washington, did you not play for the old ball coach there? I did. Listen, I what was that Spurrier, like? You don't understand how many people, and maybe uh, some Elias Sports out there, how many people played for Steve Spurrier and Nick Saban? Wow. And Tom Coughlin and Gary Kubiak and Kyle Shanahan and, you know, Dave Wanstead. And I mean, it was, I had how many? Like, you, church. I think you're I had, it, dude. Not many, but even just me and, uh, sorry, just, just Spurrier and Saban, uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty random. I got to play for those two completely different, really successful college coaches and, uh, and have those experience and those stories. And, uh, you know, I got saved in the NFL and obviously uh, Spurrier with Washington for, for like an off season trim. I started a preseason game in Osaka, Japan with Steve Spurrier in his first time as uh, as an NFL head coach, that, uh, that, that's quite the memory. That, that's insane. So, you know, it's kind of funny. It's, it's been famously said, but you were like the Tom Brady of the preseason, but there's something to that, right? Like if everybody else, if every fan's like, I don't really get this. Why am I into this? These guys play one series. Would you not say to argue that you, because you played as well as you did in the preseason, did that not extend your career or lead to the career you had in some way? 
A thousand percent. I sort of sucked in practice. I was, I was like learning the NFL game. It was very different and much more complex than what I had in college. And it took me a long time to develop. But when it was game time, those preseason games, for the most part, I would play well. It's sort of like the lights would come on and my natural athletic ability and instinct uh, would sort of come out. And I got sort of better as time went on. Uh, I got lucky a lot. You know, the, that third quarterback, uh, by the way, teams should keep a third quarterback. I don't know how they do it better or whatever, but the third, they should have a third quarterback. If you're a practice squad, third quarterback, dress on game day. Be a part of it. Go through the warmups. It all helps. It all helps. And uh, but I got to be a third string quarterback for almost four years uh, before finally you get in there. But it was those preseason games that mattered most. And I just uh, just seemed to play fairly well in those things. And this, especially in in Houston with Gary Kubiak and Kyle uh, Troy Cahoon is the first coordinator. I don't know what my numbers were, but I had a run of, I don't know, like 15 or 13 games in a row where, like by throwing a touchdown pass and, and preseason games right where a lot of guys get a quarter or a half or whatever, but there, there, you know, there's some luck involved of being behind in games. Like if you're, you're behind by 10 points and you're getting the, the most of the second half, that's where you'll want to be as the third string quarterback can go in the game. And I would, and I got those opportunities and boom, we're trying to make a comeback Get 23 throws in the fourth quarter. And in the second half, like that is a great way to learn is just by, you know, getting a lot of reps. And I got a lot of those and end up sort of becoming more comfortable when it was sort of my chance to be an actual you know, starter or even playing NFL in real NFL games. Did you know a fire department responds to a fire every 24 seconds? October is Fire Prevention Month, and we have teamed up with First Alert, the most trusted brand in fire safety, to help protect your entire home with safety that you can trust. Smoke and carbon monoxide alarms help provide an early warning in the event of a home emergency. And having enough First Alert smoke and carbon monoxide alarms is one of the best things that you can do to protect your home and family. Install alarms on every level and in every bedroom of your home. Once those alarms are installed, it is important to maintain them by testing them with regularity. Also, remember the alarms do not last forever and they do need to be replaced at least every 10 years. If you cannot remember the last time you replaced yours, it is best to replace the unit completely. And for a replacement option, my favorite is First Alert's 10-year sealed battery alarms. 10-year sealed battery alarms are convenient and they eliminate the need for battery replacements for a decade. Lastly, take this time and discuss home safety with your family, plan and practice an escape route, and remember to practice it at least twice a year. For more information on fire safety products, safety tips, and educational activities that you can do at home with your family, go to firstalert.com slash month. See, I would also imagine if you're a quarterback that obviously, obviously the Shanahan-Kubiak system is a great, great system to be in. If you're a quarterback and you see it all over the league right now, you know, Sage, I saw you tweet yesterday, quote, or hashtag, release the emails. The league, of course, investigated Dan Snyder for a toxic work environment, ultimately fined and told him to stay away from the team without releasing the findings of the investigation. I'm kind of curious. Do you think that that punishment for him fits the crime in your mind you, i mean do you think do you think it does of course not of course not i looked it up the redskins or I'm, I'm sorry the washington football team excuse me I, I mean this team drafted me so i've been around for a long time but washington uh uh they are supposedly probably worth around five billion dollars with gambling who knows where it's gonna go and a 10 million dollar fine that didn't come out of his pocket 
pocket. It came out of Washington's pocket is 0.002% of the value of that franchise. All right. And I believe his wife sort of took over for four months and he still has gone to all the games. I mean, are we serious? Like, are we, are we, are we serious in this situation? Right. These are billionaires. All right. These are highly successful people for one reason or another. And this is, this game is loved by a lot of people. It's loved by a lot of people. And I'd like to think that it is a privilege and I understand I'm not a billionaire, but it's got to think it is a privilege to own a professional NFL football team, uh, much less all the other sports. And the, the, what, how, how that organization has fallen from 2001 when I got there and the 18 months that I had in the situation and to see where it has gone, yes, I'd like to see the emails. I'd like to see what was all said, how they did business. All right, these are company emails. You should be no, nothing should be, you have nothing to be afraid of. Uh, with some transparency in the emails. I think emails are great for transparency. I mean, it's pretty, if you write an email, you better own it and uh, or at least be able to explain yourself. And so, yes, absolute transparency. I, of course, I, I prefer he's not the owner of that football team and that we would start over. It's happened before in other sports. I think it can happen in the NFL. Uh, I understand he's a wealthy guy. I understand he's connected to other people, uh, whatever it is. But I just like to think that there's another billionaire out there that would do better with the football team that's based in our nation's capital. Hmm. I mean, what do you make of the fact that John Gruden is the only casualty of that entire investigation? Yeah, that and, and also at the end of the day, are, were we super surprised about those emails with John? No. Well, is, is okay, that surprising? No, no, in fact, I'm sorry that I jumped in there. Why, no, please, no, please no, answer no, that no. yourself. No, I think that's really interesting. No, are you okay. at all surprised? Are you? Are you talking about the individual or that this type of thing is said and thought by people within the game or both? Are you surprised that John Gruden himself wrote that email to Bruce Allen, who I believe was the, the president of the team, an NFL franchise, and nothing occurred for it for 10 years? And then it was found out that no one gets to see the emails and uh, we see what John wrote that he had no concern about writing through company emails uh, publicly to a very important person, a very powerful person. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I think it's sort of, yeah, I, I think that the email should be released. And I, and I think that, um, but I, are, I'm sorry, are you surprised? Like, are you surprised that, that John, no, because I think John's lives in a very small world. I do. I think he, you know, the, the macho thing I don't think works and I don't think it's good in coaching. I always thought he's had this like super macho mentality, even those quarterback things uh, that he would do on ESPN. It was just sort of like, you got to be a macho quarterback. And I was like, Justin Herbert's not that guy. Patrick Mahomes isn't that guy. These quarterbacks aren't that guy that he was trying to get everybody to do. So I do feel like there's like this machoism that he wasn't scared to say that to uh, another very powerful person. So, you know, I think it's a, it's a, the whole situation is terrible. And obviously, there was an audience for that. There's no way that you just keep hitting sand, sand, sand if the guy in the receiving end was not happy to get that and did not endorse that and there were no consequences for it. And if it seems to me, Sage, there's got to be a lot of people around that league who've got to be very concerned right about now. I mean, obviously, this is not the only person or those are the only people who think and say those types of things. But to your point, if you're not going to release the emails, then we won't know. And they are doing what they do, man. That's big business, huge money. They're covering their own. They're covering their backside. They sacrificed that guy. And maybe we won't know. 
Maybe we won't. But I appreciate this, your thoughts if, on that. If, if, I, yeah. if I was a Washington fan, season ticket holder, I remember, you know, I first got to that team. Some of my closest friends there have been lifelong fans. And they are basically ashamed that it's the team that is what's, you know, what they remember from the 80s and the Hogs and RFK Stadium uh, to what it is now. Uh, it's shameful. And I just they don't want to spend another dollar on that franchise. Mm. They, and a lot of people feel that way. And it's really a shame for when I grew up it was one of the great again in the 80s, uh, one of the, you know, the great franchises uh, in the National Football League. Well, and such an amazing fan base. You know, if you know anything about the fan base, like the fact that you know people that would say, I would not commit another dollar to that team. That is a proud, passionate fan base that loves that franchise. You know, that is well, and that, really and that sad. franchise for a long time really had the entire Mid Atlantic right. region, right? The Baltimore didn't have a team, Carolina didn't have a team. All right. So they had a whole stretch. The Falcons weren't very good. You know, Jacksonville wasn't teammate. They had a whole sort of, you know, Eastern seaboard there of fans that, that grew up uh, and that was their football team and how to see how much that's diminished, uh, even though, of course, the value of the franchise continues to, to go up probably for, for, for very different reasons as that fan base has probably declined. Hmm. So we could do this all day long, and I appreciate your time so much. Before I let you go, I'm just trying to pick my spots. A guy that I'm absolutely fascinated by, and I'm really curious about your thoughts, is Kyler Murray. When you when you talk about the way the ball comes out of a guy's hand or what he sees or what he brings to it and the game has changed, I mean, what do you think? We Generally, what is your assessment of him? Are we talking about an MVP? Are we talking about a really good athlete in a pretty good system? Like, what do you see as a quarterback when you watch him play? Like Allen Iverson out there. Yeah. Yeah, right? I mean, they're definitely MVP. Could he be like MVP for like, you know, eight years or something? I mean, that with the long term and be able to do all that stuff. But natural thrower. That was always a thing I saw. I went, I called an Oklahoma game a couple of years ago and he was a quarterback there and just, you see him warming up and just like, Hmm, you see natural throwers. And that's one thing I think uh, as me being a thrower, you, you sort of see when you watch quarterbacks, it's really important to me and you see his quickness and speed. Like he's not just quick. He's really fast. Um, and his accuracy um, and his ability to sort of um, move around back there without, you know, without precise, footwork but also when it takes precise precise footwork he has the ability to do that and he's got great feel uh it, he's probably the i think he's i for me i would rather watch him play than lamar jackson and i'm not saying who's better different sort of styles but i would rather watch of guys that are quick like that i would rather watch uh him play seeing some of the throws against the texans last week with the, the way he throws it and the, the type of velocity he puts on that ball and his accuracy and uh, the way he avoids traffic. He's, he's a lot of fun to watch. I, I'd rather watch him than anybody right now. I mean, I, I love Lamar. I, I know where you're going with that, but I just, for my money, pound for pound, I think he is the most electric guy there is in the league right now. I, I love watching this guy. Sage, you are so good on breaking down quarterbacks and what they can do and what they maybe can't do. What is the QB collective? I know you work with those folks. What is that exactly? Yeah. So, well, Richmond Flowers uh, is sort of his, you know, uh, business, I guess, his main one of his one of his business. He's, he is a coach's agent um, and he represents various coaches around NFL and college football. And, and he got into coaching uh, by being an agent for coaches because he was a coach uh, on that 2010 team. And he was in the office and next door was uh, Sean McVay and next door was Matt LaFleur and next door was Kyle Shanahan and on and on and on. 
And he was a part of that team for four years, realized he didn't want to be a coach and, and got into the different, uh, different part of that, the industry, um, but sort of put together various groups of people that train quarterbacks in different ways from, you know, elementary, middle school type kids all the way up to, you know, I, I get guys ready for the, for the, for the senior bowl or for the combine. Um, but it's, you know, I, I, there, Caleb Williams, I've known since he was in eighth grade. And, you know, to be able to talk to him and sort of help him navigate this, uh, you know, his future in a sense of just, you know, trying to help him out in any way possible, learn coverages, footwork, throwing stuff, like, you know, and I, I got to, I've had a chance to work with him. And for me, I love, love working with him under center. So I know someday you have to be an under center quarterback. And so I go to these camps. A lot of times I do the under center, the play action, the bootleg and get him really, really good at that stuff. So if he's in the NFL and he's a part of one of those coaching staffs, he will be so far ahead of the game. The quarterbacks who've been shotgun for the last nine years of their life. Right. Like that's, that's what that, those are the things that I do within the quarterback collective. And it's a it's sort of, from kids all the way up to, you know, guys that are you know getting ready for the NFL or playing the NFL. It's really interesting. That's fascinating. And you see it. Like I talked to these guys on the show, Sage, and by the time they get to college, you can tell they've been in that system and they've been doing it. They've been living that life and they've been preparing for that moment. And it starts with things like that. I got one last thought for you. So if you look at John Elway, you know, one of the all-time great, great athletes, obviously one of the great throwers, one of the great quarterbacks ever. Can you explain why somebody like that who played the position at such a high level, who knows that position intimately, cannot select, develop, identify, or target a quarterback to save himself in the position he's in right now? How does that work? God, that is a great question. Sometimes, I mean, Michael Jordan has filled up this too, correct, in a sense. Like, it doesn't seem like he has a ton of hits over the years, his time as a NBA general manager or owner or whatever, you know, what, not general manager, but owner or whatever it's been, he has had tons of luck either. And I think it is a challenge maybe when you're just so good at something to be able to sort of figure out what the, you know, the, the, this other player, what is best, best for him and, or what, what's, what's the best type. Cause other people can't do that. People can't do what Jordan did physically and people can't do what John L.A. did physically. And so maybe that's part of the struggle. You know, maybe that's why a lot of like backup quarterbacks like myself, I think, make good coaches because they were physically limited. They back up like offensive linemen or, you know, that seventh guy on an offensive line that was doing this and doing that make great coaches is they had to know every fine detail of what it takes to, to be a quarterback. And sometimes they have the great, the great, great players sort of miss that because they're just so talented. And John, obviously, really one of the great athletes, you know, NFL athletes of all time. But obviously, you know, quarterbacks, just that that arm and, and, and had the magic stuff and had the magic stuff. That's another thing is trying to find the guys who have the magic stuff and guys like him, guys like Marino. I felt like they had this this magic uh, uh, part to them. Uh, that uh, was magnetic and to find those magnetic personalities that that's sometimes hard too. Sage really quickly what is that I have to follow up and ask you that I I know what you're talking about you're talking about that it like it's hard to explain what it is but you know it when you see it one of the best examples of it and I want you to you can answer in one second was Joe man Joe Montana like when Joe walked in a room dude it was just coming off him and even I saw other great NFL quarterbacks react when Joe was in Joe's glory and even they felt it like what is that magic stuff you're talking about I think the magic stuff 
now that I'm 43 years old, and I've thought about this a long time, it's grit for one. Hmm. There's a certain aspect of physical toughness and trying to do things right. And sort of like everyone sees you doing things to the best of your abilities at all times. It's like physical accountability. But also, I think that it is sort of like the Ted Lasso it of like that person that however the personality is, is magnetic enough to bring the best out in everybody else in that room. And I think Joe must have had that. Uh, and I think Breeze had that, right? But different ways. People have it in different ways. And that is hard to uh, create. That is hard to uh, guess if it's going to happen with if somebody has it, unless you spend a ton of time around them. And, and you know, and, and just, by the way, just talking to that Caleb Williams just a couple of weeks ago after that Texas game, we talked about that right there. All right, if you can get your teammates, every person in that room to like you, it will make your job so much easier. I'm talking about the guy uh, or gal who's doing the laundry or the equipment managers or the trainers or the, the worst player in the practice squad guy in the team, you know, the, the guy, the last guy in the roster, the, whatever it is, try to make lift everybody up uh, and sort of, and, 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 and that'll make your job. They'll want to play for you more. They'll want to do, you know, the right thing more. And I see that amongst sometimes college players, NFL players, and you see that sort of magnetic personality and, uh, I think it also it can be sort of grown over time, ups and downs. I mean, Drew Brees was you know, there's a lot of reasons why he had it, but you know, there's ups and downs of it over the course of time. And it's this magnetic type of behavior that you can't. It's hard to figure that out if a kid has that at 22 years old. But then but then don't you see kids and, you know, because you work with kids. You're right. You don't always have it at 22 but I'll see kids like just playing club baseball and you don't see it very often, but I've seen kids say that I think that kid is 10. He's already like a little rock star. Like he already has that it, like he's already got that swag. And believe me, that kid has not learned about grit or physical toughness or life at all. But then some kids just have it, right? And you can identify it at a very early age. They just, they're wired for it, whatever it is. But you can I, identify I, it sometimes. Yeah, I asked uh, my assistant high school basketball coach, who is really just a farmer that also was a teacher, and he coached the sophomore basketball team. And I asked him years ago when they realized that I was, might be a special athlete. And he said, like, in the fourth grade. Right. That's what I mean. We saw you in something and just – and you had no idea, of course. You're just out there in it. I had two older brothers. I grew up on 10 acres in, in the country. We had a basketball court. I was the all-time quarterback as they were trying to beat each other. Uh, you, you know, a completely different sort of experience watching the Chicago Bears and mostly the Hawkeyes and, uh, you know, the, the maybe the Bulls on TV and lived a completely different experience. Um, but there were, that he knew uh, that, that I sort of had that it, that he could see it. And, and I, sometimes you just sort of, and it said uh, different people for different reasons sort of have it. And I, it's, you know, and some people just obvious they don't. And no one wants to say it sometimes. It's like, he doesn't have it. He's not one of those guys that like everyone wants to go to bat for. He's not one of those guys that like uh, uh, works, I don't know, just um, communicates with people well or people they can sort of authentically uh, connect with them. A lot of times it's that sort of connection thing. And, you know, it's like Brene Brown, the authenticity deal is it is true uh, you know, the best versions of everyone's selves is like their authentic selves. And, and I think people who have it, it they, they help people bring that out. I, I so appreciate that. So a final thought, like if they knew when you were in fourth grade that you were a kid who had it, the thing I love, let's credit where credit is due. You actually lettered 
in five sports in high school. Five, if I'm not mistaken. My favorite, though, believe it or not, is tennis because I played tennis myself growing up and I love the sport. Were, were you a good tennis player and what did you like about tennis and why did you play uh, tennis? I was good. I was, I think it was an excuse for my parents to drop us off at the public park in the summertime for a couple of weeks in the summer uh, or just any time, like, you know, just go hear some tennis balls and and go play. And uh, I just, you know, I, we, there was a tournament in my hometown every summer, won a lot of medals. There would go about 45 minutes to an hour away, play some other tournaments uh, and just played a ton. It was a, a summertime activity. And um, I, I, I probably one of the better players in Eastern Iowa or maybe Iowa when I was 10, 11, 12, 13. But then I got to about really about 15. I got to high school and it just took a back burner like complete back burner to, you know, summer baseball, uh, of course, but football in the fall, basketball in the winter, God. things got more serious and it became, you know, but I, you know, a lot of quarterbacks probably have the body of a lot of well, tennis players. So yeah, so I grew up playing a ton of tennis. Uh, I think that probably helped me a ton in playing quarterback. Um, and yeah, and five sports, I just was next season, next sports, right. was, you know, I, what, what else did I do after school? I went, I went out for another sport and some, uh, one time, uh, two sports at the same time. No, I was going to say, I'm fascinated by that. that, that that life that you must have had as a kid growing up on a farm and literally just sport, 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 season, season, season. Like, it's so different. I've got, I've got one kid in college right now who played high school baseball. I've got another son in high school who plays high school baseball. And, dude, that's all, you know, aside from studying and some social and his phone, but it's baseball, 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 specialized training, weight training, practice, club ball. You were not like that, man. You went sport, 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 season, season, season. What a life that must have been. It was totally different. And uh, I, I look back and I, I'm sometimes thinking now how much that affected the way my body feels sometimes with my knees and all the things that uh, I used to do. But it was yeah, it was just that's what what I got into. And every every season was a new season. I felt like as soon as the season was done, I was sort of like done with it. I put everything I had into it three, three months, four months. And I was moving on to the next one. And basketball was probably my first, my biggest, my favorite sport. Um, you know, growing up basketball, baseball and football was sort of like eighth grade. We had, it was the first year we had helmets. So I didn't do any of that youth football. I did none of those football camps. I did none of that stuff. I showed up to eighth grade wearing, you know, get, getting a helmet that didn't fit well uh, in pads. And I was on the B team and, it, you know, it was never knew how to do anything. We ran the, the, the veer, you know, we ran the ran the option. I mean, that was uh, that was my, my my first youth football eighth grade, completely different than everybody else's. And then sort of as time progressed, it became the sport that I was being best at or had the most potential at. And I got one scholarship offered to Iowa State and, and, and off we went. You know, I was trying to at some point be a starting quarterback for the Cyclones and never, never really thought about what, 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 what might uh, end up down the road. And uh, crazy to think that uh, 12 years later or whatever, 17 years later, I was retired in NFL quarterback. Now I'm living in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. So it's quite quite the run. Incredible, man. What a journey. What a great, great story. And what a journey. And, and Sage, by the way, this is why, you know, I've done my three, my, I started off with a five hour show. Then it was a four hour show. Then it was a three hour show. And I've always done TV shows and podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. But this is why I do this particular podcast to have a long form conversation like this, where my guests are really insightful, really interesting. They need some real estate, need a little runway, and I really appreciate that you took the time to do that, and this is why I do this podcast, to have a conversation like that. So I want to thank you very, very much. I thought that was a blast, and I really do appreciate you. 
I appreciate you having me on. I, and uh, I sort of knew going into this, it was, it's not your, I'm glad you didn't ask me whether the 49ers should, you know, should start Trey Lance or who should go. I'm, I'm glad we, I got none of those questions. I got to talk about, uh, you know, my, 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 my uh, windy road that has got me to a pretty dang good place uh, out here in Omaha, Nebraska. Now, I, you know, and, and finally, I've said finally 18 times, so I told you why you're so good. I'm glad you understand that. And I wanted to, I mean, believe me, I'm curious what you think about that, but I want, I want to make sure that my guests come and they do an interview that they haven't done 15 times already. And inherently, you are very interesting. And as somebody who's in the media, it is my job to listen to what the guest is saying and be curious. So you and I are on the same page. We understand each other, and that's why that was a really good conversation. Not an interview, but a really good conversation. And I appreciate you knowing that and understanding that. Good job, Sage. Jim, I I appreciate you having me on. Hey, I said it to him, and I want to say it again right now. This is exactly why I do this side hustle. To find people like that and have conversations like that, I want to thank Sage for making so much time and dropping that kind of insight and the wisdom and the anecdotes. That was an absolute blast. What an interesting dude who's had an amazing journey. So great to have him on the show. My thanks to Sage. If you're looking for more insightful conversations, look no further. You've come to the right spot. And there are plenty more still ahead, such as episode 196, which is going to hit the digital shelves next week. If you want to get ahead of it, take a second and subscribe right now. This way, every single new episode will find its way to you and you don't have to look for it. So if you don't mind, throw us that sub. And in the meantime, I'm going to throw you your voicemails. First new message. Boom! Jacques in North Carolina. First time, long time, brother. Happy birthday. Today is October 14th. I was listening, just jamming out to Rit and his segment he gave him. Man, love the show. Been listening to you forever since 98. Caught you uh, while I was living down in Ensenada, Mexico for six months on some AM station out of San Diego. Been listening ever since. Love what you do, brother. Love the content. Keep it up. It's Rit! Message saved. Next message. This is Jim in Vancouver, Washington. I'm happy that once again, Seattle, Washington has an NHL hockey team again. I am sad because one of my favorite barroom trivia questions will now be obsolete. What was the first team to win Lord Stanley's Cup? The Seattle Metropolitans. Who ever heard of an NHL hockey team in Seattle? But I hope one of my children and I decide to jump on the train and go to Seattle and catch a hockey game this year. But that will probably happen right after I get a Superman cape that actually works. Message saved. Next message. Romy, Justin in Melbourne. I don't think you have any competition from Rit when it comes to hosting the CBS Sports Show. But I will say when it comes to Rit's future, you and him are in a dead heat right now when it comes to hosting those game shows. Let's talk about Rit. I mean, he doesn't have the look of a Chuck Woolery. He doesn't have the grit or the right hand of a Bob Barker. He doesn't have the charm with the ladies like a Richard Dawson. But the guy's got some charisma and some attitude like a Wink Martindale. So, Romy. You might be watching them very soon on the Joker's Wild. Message deleted. Next message. Romy Rome, Utah State, Colorado State Rams just rammed me. 
had a first down, had a spike ball. That's all they had to do. Rest of the team on, kick the field goal, miss it. Fucking lost my mortgage. Message deleted. Next message. What up, Jimmy? This is Pat from Sacktown, big time Raider fan. Thing I I wonder about is it's like Mark Davis said they went after the Washington football team and then it all comes back to the Raiders and nothing's happened with the Washington football team. What's up with that? That's my that's my smack. Message deleted. You have no more messages.